from San Francisco, California, with your host, Ben Kaspik. This is Locked On Giants Baseball. Welcome back to Locked On Giants Baseball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Kaspik, and I'm thrilled to be with you again today. On this show, we provide daily episodes Monday through Friday, approximately 15 minutes in length, talking about the San Francisco Giants in a way that's data-driven and rational, but also insightful and easily digestible, easy for everyone to understand. To get this show every day, you can subscribe on the brand new podcast app Himalaya, as well as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. You can also get in your car and tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On Giants Baseball. Today's show is brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com. Be there, do that, get rewarded. Coming up on today's show, we will recap the Giants' 7-0 loss against the Mets, talk about Tyler Beatty's crucial start that didn't go as hoped. We have a lot of pre-game notes to discuss and some post-game notes looking ahead into the future. So a lot to talk about on the show today. But first, their record with the 7 to nothing loss, the Giants fell to 25 and 35. That's 16 and a half games back in the National League West. Their run differential fell to minus 77, which took over again for last in the National League. That run differential has an expected win-loss record of 22 and 38. They're 15 and 17 on the road, 10 and 18 at home. Before the game, there were several noteworthy events that took place, so we'll cover those now. Buster Posey was put on the 10-day injured list. He had not been playing with that hamstring injury, but they finally decided to just put him on the injured list, which was retroactive to, I think, June 2nd. So he'll be eligible to come off in about a week. Trevor Gott was reinstated from the injured list. That was the corresponding move there. They needed to activate Gott. The, the corresponding move was just DL Posey. Also of note, Aaron Altair, who has seen quite a little whirlwind of his own the last several weeks, DFA'd by the Phillies, claimed by the Giants, DFA'd by the Giants, claimed by the Mets, played with the Mets, hit a home run in his first at bat, which I think is super relevant and something we'll discuss in a minute. But he was DFA'd again by the Mets yesterday. So in all seriousness, I think it makes sense for the Giants to once again claim Aaron Altair. And it wouldn't be that hard to find a roster spot for him on the 25 man, at least temporarily right now. And they could just try that same trick they tried last time, claiming him, then DFAing him and hoping he clears waivers. And then they could outright him to the minor leagues. That's what they were trying to do last time that didn't work because the Mets claimed him, but they could just try it again. And (laughs) I wouldn't be shocked if they did. And I made a joke on Twitter that I'm sure Giants fans would react sanely and rationally if the Giants claimed and DFA'd Aaron Altair again. Seems a lot of people don't understand what was going on there, but really I don't see a reason why they shouldn't try it again, so don't be shocked if it actually does happen. Another noteworthy piece of news is that Mac Williamson signed a minor league deal with the Mariners. He had cleared waivers and elected free agency instead of being, he couldn't, the Giants couldn't outright him to the minors because they had done it before. So he was able to sign with any team he chose. He signed a minor league deal with the Mariners, and they immediately called him up because Braden Bishop, the brother of Giants' first-round pick Hunter Bishop, has a spleen injury, which I hope he's okay. I didn't really read too much into what happened there. 
but really a small world. Braden Bishop goes down with an injury on the Mariners. So Mac Williamson called up by the Mariners and last night he hit a home run. So I continue to say that it's extremely unlikely that he's going to find success because the Giants gave him all kinds of opportunities and he just was not able to get it done at all but wishing him the best and we don't get to criticize the Giants front office if he does do well they tried to give him a look it clearly wasn't working so time to move on and wishing him the best in Seattle moving on to the game itself not a whole lot of positives from this game Tyler Beatty was on the mound I said it was an important start for him It could go one of two directions. He could continue the positive that he had built for himself in Miami, or he could revert back to that wildness and ugliness that has plagued him for his entire career prior to his last start in Miami. But first, I have a little nit to pick with the lineup. Every time Donovan Solano has played uh, in the starting lineup, which is pretty much only against left-handed pitchers, Bruce Bochy has elected to bat him second in the lineup. And if you look around baseball at who's batting second in any given game, it's like the best hitters on most teams. You have Chris Bryant and Alex Bregman, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Yoan Moncada, Cody Bellinger sometimes, Max Muncy. Just some big legitimate threats batting second in a lineup. And it seems the Donovan Solano approach is like contact hitter. I really, I've said this a lot and when this show was Covecast. It seems like the old school manager wants a guy who's good at grounding out to second base to bat second. And the idea there is like you're going to get a leadoff hit somehow. You're going to steal second so there will be a runner on second with no outs. And then that ground ball to second base just makes old school managers so, so happy. When other teams like the Dodgers, they get their leadoff guy on because he's really good. And then they hit a home run and it's 2 nothing instead of just grounding out and hoping for a sack fly. That guy bats more than anyone except the leadoff hitter in a given game. And so if it all comes down to it, I'm not sure that you want Donovan Solano being the guy to come up more than anyone but the leadoff hitter. Anyway, they did get a runner on second base with no outs, which is that dream scenario to have a guy like Solano batting second if you're just trying to move him up to third, but he was not able to do so. So I'm not, this is less about Donovan Solano and more about just a, to me, an old school mentality when building a lineup. Lineup construction is not that important, so I'm not going to talk about this much on the show. But when he plays, I mean, to me, he's a guy who should bat eighth or ninth, not second. Tyler Beatty was pitching well initially. He got out of some trouble, got Robinson Cano to hit into a key double play. But then in the fourth inning, first pitch fastball to Michael Conforto, home run. And then clearly it, it got in his head a little bit because the next two batters walked. And this is how Tyler Beatty has kind of broken down in some of his other starts prior to the one in Miami. Things just snowball on him and he can't command his pitches, falls behind, gets into predictable counts, and then gets hammered. So that's what happened in the fourth. Two walks following the homer and then a three-run homer and suddenly it's four to nothing. The next hitter, he threw two good change-ups for strikes to get ahead 0-2, which just goes to show you that's what he needs to do. He needs to command his off-speed stuff and get ahead of hitters. You can just flip up a curveball in an 0-0 count, and nobody's looking for it. But if you're trying to bounce a curveball on an 0-0 count or a 2-0 count, they're not going to swing, and then you're just digging a deeper and deeper hole. So we've said that over and over with him, and it happened last night. It was an unfortunate development for him. They did let him continue to go out there and try to pitch through it, which I think is important. In a season like this, you have nothing to lose by just continuing to throw him out there and hope he can figure it out. And that's probably what they'll continue to do. Although, like I said, their starting pitching is like a total mess right now. There's really nobody pitching all that well 
Samarja is outperforming his peripheral, so I have concerns there. Bumgarner looks just slightly better than average, and he's probably going to get traded. So their, their starting pitching is not exactly in a good situation right now. In his return from the injured list, Trevor got through a scoreless inning with two strikeouts, so that was good to see him back. He really has had a strong debut season for the Giants. Good to see him back on the mound and pitching well. Derek Holland came in, and the first batter he faced hit a mammoth home run, and it was Adani Echevarria, who's not known as much of a hitter. So speaking of Holland, you know, he really has struggled. ERA up in the sixes, tons of home runs, not doing any better in the bullpen. So when we talk about a guy like Aaron Altair being available to be claimed, I do think it might be a better use of a roster spot to have Aaron Altair on the roster and just hope he can figure it out as an outfielder. And some of these struggling veteran pitchers, I hate to say it, I hate to just suggest that somebody lose their job, but you're not getting much out of Derek Holland in the bullpen even. So might be worth, the Giants have a need for young athletic outfielders like Altair, and I just don't see much of a future for Derek Holland with the Giants based on how this season has gone. So on the other side of the ball, Jason Vargas threw a complete game shutout with 117 pitches, throwing like an average fastball of 84 miles an hour. So it was a very unusual usual performance we don't often see hit uh, pitchers throwing that slow if ever in today's day and age but my note there is that you know better he throws a complete game shutout against the Giants now than in game four of the World Series in 2014 when he was on the mound with the Royals trying to take a three to one series lead in that World Series he was starting the Royals had a big early lead but the Giants were able to come back against him and tie that series and the rest was history. So he may have won last night but the Giants still have the last laugh on Jason Vargas. All told Tyler Beatty threw 101 pitches and only 57 were strikes so barely over 50% which is totally what plagues him. Remember, to get this show every day, please consider subscribing. You can find us on the brand new podcast app, Himalaya. It's free, super easy to use, and has every single podcast you love or are searching for. They have personally curated playlists made just for you by their expert podcast tastemakers, themed collections of shows to help with podcast discovery. You can find everything from comedy to mystery, thrillers, and sports. Listeners can follow their favorite shows and creators, like and comment on individual episodes, and build podcast playlists by the episode. Customize it just like a playlist for songs and share it through social, texts, and email. Find and download Himalaya on the App Store or Google Play Store, and don't forget to follow Locked On Giants Baseball when you're there. Coming up in the next segment, we'll talk about a key free agent signing that I think has huge implications for the Giants and the trading deadline. We'll summarize the draft and we'll look ahead to the next game against the Mets and the upcoming series against the Dodgers. So that's all coming up next, but first... Okay, so as promised, we're going to talk about a key free agent signing in baseball and how I think it has huge implications implications for the Giants moving forward. We'll also kind of summarize the MLB draft, which finally concluded yesterday. So news came out yesterday, finally, that Craig Kimbrell has found a team. He's signing with the Cubs for three years and $43 million. And really, it's more like two and a half years. The, the contract runs through this season and then two more seasons. But the reason I think that's a huge signing, and it's crucial that it happens sooner rather than later, is that the trade market for Will Smith can now really begin to take shape. And I wouldn't be shocked at all if that type of move happens sooner rather than later because of just how dominant Will Smith has been and just how far back in the standings the Giants are. 
There are several teams that could use a dominant relief ace. Anyone loading up for the postseason and anyone fighting to get into the postseason would absolutely 100% love to have Will Smith. And he's making like a total of a little over $4 million this season. So whoever acquires him only owes him something like $2 million for the rest of the season. And that is a massive bargain. I would make a case he might be better right now than Craig Kimbrell, who's one of the best relievers in MLB. And Kimbrell just signed for three years, $43 million. So to get Will Smith for two months and $2 million, yes, it's only two months, but it's also a postseason and you can really ride these guys hard in the postseason and win games with some dominant outings by relievers. And even if you need someone like Will Smith to start a game for you, it it can really help you out in like a wild card scenario. There's all kinds of ways you can utilize a dominant relief ace like Will Smith. So I think it's not even a question anymore at all. I do think his trade value is way higher than Madison Baumgartner's at this point. So with Kimbrell off the board, the Giants have so much more leverage because teams could otherwise have said, well, we're just going to wait and see if we can sign Kimbrell. And the Giants really should just twiddle their thumbs until it happened. So it finally happened. And it was very quick after that draft pick compensation came off the board. Will Smith has a 2.01 fielding independent pitching, a 2.38 ERA, a 1.97 expected fielding independent pitching. These are just phenomenal numbers. That fielding independent pitching is seventh best in MLB among relief pitchers. Some of the names above him, Ken Giles, Araldis Chapman, Brad Hand. These are some of the best relievers in MLB. That expected fielding independent pitching is fifth best in MLB, third best in the National League behind Josh Hader, Kirby Yates. These are just elite names we're talking about. And if you look at projections, if we average Steamer and Zips, which are two major projection systems, Will Smith's projected fielding independent pitching is third best in MLB among all pitchers behind only Edwin Diaz and Araldis Chapman. In terms of ERA projection, it's the same thing. It's Araldis Chapman, Edwin Diaz, Josh Hader, Felipe Vasquez, Craig Kimbrell, Will Smith. So elite company and the Giants are so far back and Smith is peaking so much right now. I wouldn't be surprised if in in the next two weeks, this is something that gets done. So we'll continue to be on the lookout for that. Also of note, the MLB draft finally concluded 40 rounds in the books. The theme for the Giants, they took a lot of hitters in the draft, especially in the early rounds. Nine of their first 10 picks were position players, not pitchers. A lot of quotes coming in. The Giants were really pleased with what they were able to get in the draft. There was an emphasis on tools and power projection. So the Giants seem very pleased with how the draft went, and it will be exciting to follow as these guys sign their first professional contracts. Coming up today, the Giants are back in New York, taking on the Mets for one final game on this road trip, Sean Anderson against Zach Wheeler, former Giants first round pick. To get this show every single day, you can subscribe on the brand new podcast app Himalaya, as well as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. I really hope that you do. This is a daily show with new episodes Monday through Friday, approximately 15 minutes in length, talking about the San Francisco Giants in a way that's data-driven and rational, but also insightful and easily digestible, easy for everyone to understand. Once again, my name is Ben Kaspic. You can follow me on Twitter at Cove underscore cast. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review and telling your friends and family to check us out. I cannot wait to be with you again tomorrow, and until then, we'll see you next time. 